Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Well, we've been in this series entitled True Church, asking the question, what is a true church and what would it look like if we sought God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind? And I started this because I believe God is calling the church to repentance. And I heard recently that there are some who might confuse the idea of repentance. What does it really mean? Partly because they've been told about repentance in a way that maybe was harsh and legalistic. But repentance, as I'm talking about, is recognizing anything in your life that is not of God. Any place where you are in a sinful pattern of life or in a place of idolatry, a place of loving the world more than you love God. And repentance is turning away from that, saying that no longer will I live there and dwell there, but I will come to the Lord, lay that before him, and seek him with all of my heart. And I've been saying that the church in this country, I've said this for years, is very immature. And the primary reason that we are immature is that we love pleasure and comfort and things of this world more than we love God. And see, God is calling us to let go of those things, to recognize that this, we have one life to live. One life that is a living sacrifice to present to him. And are we going to choose to live it in a lukewarm fashion, seeking after this world? Or will we truly seek him and be the church that he wants us to be? That we are at a critical time in the history of this country where it is utmost of importance that the church arise. I've said here for the last few weeks that I believe the church has been in retreat now for several decades. You can look at that numerically, look at it spiritually, look at it morally. The church has been in decline. You see, the great generation thought that the war was over in 1945. And in fact, World War II, the war to put down evil in much of the world was over. That this country had been raised up, I believe, by God to stand against evil on a proportion never before seen in the history of the world. And that war against evil was over, but what very few people probably realized was this. That the war in this country was just beginning you see, I'm very certain that Satan was angry at the end of World War II, and he was particularly angry with this country, and he put his target, his bullseye, on us. And that for several decades now, he has been scheming and manipulating and infiltrating and deceiving people in this culture in, in generation after generation for the purpose of bringing down and undermining the nation that has stood against darkness more than any other for the past century. And you see, the place where he has been extraordinarily effective is within the church, weakening the church. In fact, I read a quote this week 
stating that if you find that there are problems in government or problems in education or problems in economics, that you can trace it back to problems in the church. That if the church is truly effective, doing what it should be doing, that it influences all of society instead of being in retreat. And you see, I believe God is calling us as a church here, Celebration Church, as individuals, as a global church, a national church, to stand and go on the offensive. And the true church would be accomplishing these things, such as proclaiming the truth. And where we've been the last couple of weeks is talking about the true church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, fervent in prayer. And where, what I've been emphasizing most recently is that it is prevailing in spiritual warfare. And you see, the church has been radically failing in spiritual warfare. Much of the church doesn't even realize that that's what's going on. It's too caught up in logical, rational, humanistic ideas rather than understanding that we are up in a spiritual battle against the demonic. And then a lot of the church is too busy concerned about itself what God will do for me, what, what therapy he'll provide for me, rather than recognizing that I am called to be a warrior in the battle against darkness. And I am convinced that right now God is calling the church, true believers across the world, to repent, to humble ourselves, and to take up our cross in the battle against darkness. That it is time for the church to stop retreating and start advancing. And so where we were last week was talking about the church's battle. That is, that there is a spiritual battle that I believe comes to the doorstep of every body of believers, every church, and that in many respects the churches have been failing in this area. And to explain it, I went back to talk about the things that I brought up in May about the spirits of evil that have authority over this nation. And as I've said, I believe there are three demonic spirits of very strong power that have been around for centuries that have authority in this nation. The first is Baal, or Balaam, the plural of that. And of course, it is just a name that describes really a demonic spirit that has very strong power and authority. And it is a spirit that has to do with carnality and sensuality, materialism, even infanticide, and stands in opposition to the true God. And I mentioned that you'll find that there are kings of Israel who, like Manasseh, who worship Baal, worship the pagan God of the countries around them rather than worshiping the true God. And in order for a demonic spirit of this type to have authority in a nation, there have to be a significant number of people who have invited it in, who have allowed it in. And by seeking after things of this world, in greed and carnality and materialism, we have left open the door for such a spirit to have authority in this nation. Likewise, I said last week that there's a spirit of Molech that has authority in this nation. And what it is known for is being a spirit that brings people to sacrifice their own children for the purpose of prosperity before that demonic being. And of course, in the Old Testament days, literally they had a fire where they would bring a child and sacrifice them and thinking that somehow that would bring prosperity to the people. And, but we do the same thing. We sacrifice our children on the altar in terms of abortion or prosperity and materialism, oftentimes where children are left on their own to figure out life without guidance from the generation that's ahead of them. 
And I've mentioned that I believe the church has done a very poor job now for at least several decades of passing on the mantle of Christianity to the following generations. And it behooves each one of us to take it seriously, to invest in the generations that are coming after us. And even if your children are grown and you've already invested in them, you need to look for other young people in whom you can invest periodically, maybe even day by day. And then the third spirit that I think has authority over this nation is this spirit Asherah or Ashtoreth, which is has to do with lust and sexual immorality and prostitution and pornography and all of those things that stand against the holiness and sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. That God himself created us that way. It is his intention. Anything outside of that is a violation of his moral law. And the perverse spirits of evil seek to destroy that in any way they can and destroy people's lives in the process. And you see, I believe these spirits have authority, strong authority in this nation because we have worshipped the things of the world associated with them. That we have, ever since the 1960s, been in the so-called sexual revolution that has accomplished nothing but destruction in people's lives. I mean, that's really what it's done. There's nothing positive about it. And yet there are many, many people who still stand and indulge in this arena. And see, as a nation, we are being undermined and destroyed, not from an outside enemy that we can see clearly, but from within, from a spiritual enemy that has gained such a foothold that it is perverse across the land. And so I mentioned last week that I believe there's one person in Scripture that very much encapsulates all three of those demonic spirits. And it's Jezebel who was the queen of Israel when Ahab was the king. And the Scripture that we looked at among several was this in Kings, where it talks about Ahab becoming the king over Israel and that he did more more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anyone who had come before him. What a terrible thing to have said about any person that he was the most evil of any person who'd been in a leadership in the nation of Israel more than anybody who had come before him. And among the detestable things that he did was take as his wife the daughter of the king of the Sidonians of a pagan nation, Jezebel, who served Baal and worshipped him and led Ahab, the king of Israel, to worship a false god, a demonic spirit, rather than worshipping the true God. And look, there are plenty of people in our culture who, in idolatry, are worshipping false gods, whether they realize it or not. And you see, in the case of Jezebel, she led Ahab to do this very thing. In fact, he set up a temple for Baal. He built it in Samaria. He brought Asherah poles into the temple and used those as a part of worship. He did many, many things to provoke the anger of God. And during his reign, you find that Jezebel did a lot of things that were just plain wicked that she set about killing the true prophets of God, trying to destroy them so that her prophets, the prophets of Baal and Asherah and others, could rule in the nation. In fact, in the scripture that talks about where Elijah came against the prophets of Baal, it indicates that the prophets of Asherah and Baal were being fed at the table of Jezebel. In other words, she had invited them into the king's palace and she was taking care of them. She was facilitating pagan, demonic worship among the people of Israel. 
And of course, in the conflict with Elijah, he stood against them and was victorious. And they were put to death by the people of Israel when they saw the work of the true God. But then Jezebel did what? She threatened Elijah and and set about to kill him. But God gave him a word, even though he was afraid, God gave him a word that she would not take his life, but rather that her life would be spilled out and even her body eaten by the dogs, which came to be a fulfilled prophecy. And these are the things that I talked about, about a Jezebel spirit. And I said this, I believe every church, it falls under attack of such a spirit. I believe every true body of believers will come under attack by a Jezebel spirit trying to undermine that church in any way in which it can infiltrate. And so these are the characteristics, first of all, that a Jezebel spirit seeks to undermine true authority, whatever is the God-given authority, to try to bring that down in some way. That it schemes for power and possessions, like in the case of Jezebel, when Ahab wanted the vineyard of Naboth and he couldn't buy it, what did she do? She set it up to have him murdered so that she could take his property. And then the Jezebel spirit has a disregard for life. It has this sense of lawlessness, as she did, that many lost their life at the hands of Jezebel. That it opposes true worship of God. And in fact, I think very often one of the primary things that the demonic wants to do is to suppress worship of God in any form that it can. Whatever it can do to lead people away from truly recognizing and honoring and worshiping God. I said also that the Jezebel spirit will encourage people to worship in in false ways, in idolatry, which is essentially demonic worship. See, this is what people do not realize is that any time we have idolatry of any form, that behind that is some spirit, deceiving spirit, luring you away from worshiping Christ, and effectively you are worshiping something demonic. Every false religion of the world has behind it a deceptive, lying spirit wanting people to worship it rather than worshiping the true God. Then the Jesus... Jezebel's spirit also opposes the truth, that it's always lying and spreading lies and undermining truth in any way it can. It encourages sexual immorality, which we're going to explore more in the teaching this weekend. And it retains power through intimidation. That's what Jezebel was constantly doing, was intimidating others and making people afraid. Even the prophet Elijah, who was so strong and so uh, loved by God that he was even taken from this world that he didn't have to face death, yet he ran in fear away from Jezebel. She intimidated even him. And so this is the spirit that attacks every church. I'm convinced of it. I believe we've fallen prey to such attacks around here and sometimes that it's had some authority over us, but I believe that we have taken back that ground, are standing firm against the darkness and really wanting to work in such a way that God would use us to advance his kingdom. And so I want to explore this a little bit more and talk about it in terms of the church's compromise. You know, I said the Jezebel spirit attacks every church. It is the church's battle. But unfortunately, the church in this country has largely compromised with this spirit rather than doing battle with it. And do you realize that is what a lot of people do with darkness? Like a lot of people, when they have a stronghold of any type, they compromise with it rather than doing battle against it. 
they excuse why they allow it into their life and they rationalize that it's okay and it's not hurting anyone. You see, they're compromising with deception and darkness. And any time you compromise with darkness, it will entrap you. You see, every time a spirit of darkness is trying to get you to compromise with it, it is setting a trap. And lots of people fall prey to such traps. Now, the scripture that we had not gotten to with regard to Jezebel is this one in Revelation chapter 2, where it is a voice speaking, the angel of the Lord speaking to the church at Thyatira, And it says, I know your deeds. Now, pay close attention to this. It says, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and perseverance. Now, those are pretty positive things to have said about a church. That you're a church that's filled with love, that you're filled with faith, that you're serving one another, and you're persevering. I mean... Generally, we would say, well, that sounds like a pretty strong church. But it says this. Nevertheless, I ha- in fact, before I get there, notice the last statement before that, that you are actually doing more now than you did at first. In other words, a church that had begun and improved doing good things, yet had a serious problem. And so the Lord says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols, which means what? That she leads people into sexual immorality and idolatry, just like Jezebel was leading the people of Israel into worshiping Baal. And you see... It's no coincidence that this name of a person from Old Testament days shows back up here in the book of Revelation because it is describing the work of a demonic spirit. The woman Jezebel, the actual human being, was certainly one who was strongly influenced, if not indwelt, by something demonic. Think about all of the lives that she took, the prophets of Israel and so forth, that she was a woman who was willing to murder to get what she wanted. And certainly there was a spirit of evil, a demonic spirit that had authority upon her, probably indwelled her in order that she would be so wicked. And that's what the Spirit of the Lord is talking about here, that this type of spirit, this demonic spirit, has influence in this church and that it is leading people into sexual immorality and to idol worship, idolatry of what is essentially the demonic. Now, you see, if you look at the church in the United States today, this spirit has wildly infiltrated the church, especially with sexual immorality. You see, what, say, in my grandparents' generation, What to them would have been offensive today is relatively normal. I mean, when it comes to sexual perversion and sexual immorality, what would have been radically offensive a few generations ago is essentially normal in all around us right now. 
and it has gradually gained greater and greater strength and power and influence inside the church. In fact, statistics tell us that Christians, church-attending Christians, essentially behave no different than the rest of the population when it comes to sexual immorality. And that we gloss it over with some rational argument about God wants me to be happy. When, it, when God is calling us to be a people of purity. And see, what I said last week is God is calling the church to fight the spiritual battle. However, if you are involved in some place where you are involved in sexual immorality, it is impossible to be a soldier who effectively fights the war. Do you realize that? You see, if on the one hand you have the door wide open and allowing the demonic to influence your life, it is absolutely impossible you, for you to stand against the darkness. Because on the one hand, what you're doing is you are sleeping with the enemy, literally. If the enemy is something demonic seeking to deceive, and at the same time you're committing sexual immorality, essentially you're sleeping with the enemy rather than standing against it. And this is why I've called it the church's compromise. That the church in this country, I, I can't speak so clearly about across the world, but in this country, the church has extraordinarily compromised with the spirit of Jezebel. And we've done it not only with sexual immorality, but also with idolatry. In fact, there are lots of forms of idolatry that have crept into the church that we find acceptable. Whether it's some form of religion or greed or carnality or uh, materialism, any of those kinds of things. In fact, we even coin theologies that essentially allow us to indulge in idolatry. And you see, God is calling the church to have discernment. In fact, I was reading a book this week that is just was published very recently and is talking about where we are right now and the battle that we are in, very much consistent with, with what I've been saying, and saying what is needed in the church right now so desperately is discernment. And you see, if you are compromising with evil, it is impossible to discern how evil is working because it already has you deceived and manipulated and controlled. See, once the Jezebel spirit gains authority and control over a person or over a body of believers, it has them deceived to the point that then it can work however it wants and prevent them from being effective in the spiritual battle. And this is why it is so important at this time that people repent and purify their own lives in order to be used by God to stand against the darkness. Now, you see, in this case in Revelation, it says that God had given her time to repent. In other words, given the people there time to repent, but they had not done so. So he was going to commit them or, or force them onto a bed of suffering because of the adultery that they were committing. In other words, there was a judgment coming. There is a cost to it, and it was going to be a painful cost. There always is a cost for compromising with darkness, always. Now, one of the things we need to recognize is this. 
that a demonic spirit does not get authority in a body of believers without first getting authority in individuals. Do you understand what I mean? That it, It's not that a spirit can suddenly just gain authority over a group of people if they're all standing in, in purity and holiness before God. It has to get authority in individuals. And when it gains authority in a sufficient number of individuals, then it can manipulate all of those around them especially if it can gain authority in leadership. You see, a Jezebel spirit always attacks the church, always attacks leadership. And if it cannot get the primary leader or leaders, it will attack somebody else who will try to undermine leaders. In fact, I've seen this where, where you had a godly leader in a church, but a person operating in the flesh, probably under an influence of such a spirit of Jezebel, was undermining the godly leadership of the person who was the pastor of that church. And you see, this is a spirit that attacks and always tries to undermine leadership, but it has to get authority in people's lives. One of the things that I do when I counsel people, I'm I'm looking for strongholds in their lives, looking for places where they're generational strongholds, where something demonic has influence over them. That's just the way I counsel. And I'm always trying to ask questions and look and see where did it gain authority? In what generation? By what sinful behavior? Who opened the door? How did some spirit of evil gain authority in that family? And inevitably, there is a place where it has happened. Maybe like a father who's committed adultery and thrown open wide for a stronghold of sexual perversion to be in the family thereafter. Or you see, it can be anything of that nature. And a stronghold can develop in the family. Now you see, in order for a spirit to attack an individual, it has to find the weakness in that individual. And the first and foremost weakness that it is always looking for is pride. The scripture says in Proverbs that pride goes before destruction, that a haughty spirit before a fall. We often sort of put those two together and say pride goes before a fall, but it says pride goes before destruction. And a spirit of evil is always looking for a pocket of pride in an individual life so that it can use that as a place to manipulate and infiltrate. And you see, all of us must recognize that every single person in this room struggles with pride, do we not? Now, if you think you don't, that's more dangerous than recognizing that you do. Because all of us can have little places of pride in our lives that we have not conquered. And those are the places where we are most vulnerable. I mean, your pride can even be a a religious pride, a spiritual pride, that I'm better than other people, things of that nature. And that is a place where you are vulnerable. Your pride might be in your accomplishments or in your wealth or something of that nature. It's a place where you are vulnerable. And wherever a spirit of evil can find a pocket of pride, that is where it will attack. Secondly, a place where a Jezebel spirit will attack is a place where there is rebellion in your soul. In this example, it's the example of King Saul, who was anointed king by Samuel over Israel, the first king they ever had. 
And yet he had a problem. He started out fairly well, but the longer he was the king, the more prideful he became. And his most serious sin was they were about to go into battle and there was no priest to make an offering. And instead of waiting upon them, he made the offering himself. That he offered a sacrifice before God as if he was a priest. He was not called to do so. He did it in pride. And then Samuel confronts him. And that's what this scripture about. It's, it says that the Lord does not delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, the offering that you made, Saul, was not pleasing unto the Lord. Because you did it with a wrongful heart. You did it in pride. He says, the Lord does not delight in such sacrifices near as much as he delights in obeying his voice. That God delights in people who obey him. And he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. Do you understand why he's saying that? It's because Saul made this sacrifice that was not a real sacrifice. It was a prideful thing. Basically saying, I've got to do this, get it over with so I can go to battle and win this victory not recognizing that it was humility that was necessary so that he would win the victory in the power of the Spirit. And this is why Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, which means like witchcraft, another version says, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. You see, the place that a spirit of evil always looks for is a pocket of pride. And if it can find a place where there is rebellion in your soul, it will certainly use that against you. And here again, it may not be as prevalent and as widespread as pride, because pride is a problem for all of us, but rebellion in some form can be a problem for many people. In fact, one of the sad things is that the spirits of evil will attack. If you have a generation that is godly and the spirits of evil cannot bring down, bring down that generation, it will attack the next, next generation, especially trying to get them to rebel against the godliness of their parents. I've seen this many times. In fact, if you go back many years ago, Franklin Graham wrote a, a story about his own life. And he, in, the title of the book was Rebellion Without a Cause, a, Re a Rebel Without a Cause. That he was in rebellion against the godliness of his parents. And yet eventually he came to the end of himself and God got a hold of him and put him back on the right track. But you see, the spirits of evil were attacking and they couldn't bring down Billy Graham or his wife in that generation. So they went after the next generation and got a foothold. Fortunately, they stood and retook that ground. But you see, if there's pride, if there's rebellion, it gives an opportunity for a Jezebel spirit to gain a, a foothold in an individual. And then a third particular way is this. Of course, in Exodus it says, You shall have no other gods before me. This is part of the Ten Commandments. That you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. And you see, idolatry is a place where you throw open wide the opportunity for a Jezebel spirit to attack. <clears throat> Do you realize that any time you have pride, rebellion, or idolatry in your life or in a group of believers, you are leaving yourself open to demonic attack 
the opportunity for them to gain authority and a foothold in your life and in a body of believers. And far, far too often you'll find pride, rebellion, and idolatry within the church. And you see, if the church is immature and weak and not fighting the battle, it's largely because of these three things. And it's been this way now for a number of years in this country where we have really invited idolatry to the point that if I were God, I would have long ago said enough. I mean, really, if I were God, I would have long ago run out of patience and long-suffering and love, yet because he desires that none would perish, that his love is so great that his patience endures, still inviting, still wanting his people to come unto him. Now, if there has to be a door open in an individual, there likewise has to be a door open in a church. And as I said, it can come through those three things, pride, rebellion, and idolatry. And I believe this scripture in Revelation again, another statement to one of the churches, declares what is the essence of the door that we have left open for a Jezebel spirit to attack churches in this country. And it's to the church at Laodicea where it says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. You see, I believe that describes the church in this nation in large measure. Now, I'm talking about all of the different collective bodies of believers, churches that have within them true believers and probably within them people who do not know the Lord. But I largely believe the church in this country has for a long time been lukewarm. And the scripture says here, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out. I think another version says spew you out. Because you say this, you say I am rich and I have acquired wealth and I do not need anything. Well, we are the wealthiest generation of people to ever have lived in the history of the world. And in the history of this country, we are living on the blessings that came as a consequence of the faithfulness of our forefathers, their diligence, their perseverance, their sacrifice. And yet in the midst of the blessings, just like the nation of Israel did when blessings were there and they were living on the blessings of their forefathers, they thought they needed nothing. You see, I've said for a long time that the enemy of maturity in this culture for the church is pleasure and comfort. It's because we think this world and its possessions and what we can gain here is life. But there's a great emptiness and shallowness in it. Surely more and more people who have who have gone down that path of seeking prosperity in this world have found it an empty avenue realizing that apart from Christ there is nothing and so one of the great problems is this that we 
have so much and we have such abundance and such idolatry that we like this world. We don't long for something better. Whereas most generations in history have longed for eternity, longed for a world, a new heaven and a new earth where there are no more tears and no more crying and no more pain. And you see, when you see the darkness of this world and the darkness of your own heart and the sin that pervades this world, that's what you long for. But when you are wrapped up and blinded by the materialism of this world, you don't see all the darkness and you don't realize how wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked you really are. See, the church in this country largely is wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked, even though we have great wealth. At the end of that passage, it says, so be earnest and do what? Repent. That's what I'm saying. God is calling us to repent over and over and over. Those who love him, who seek him, will do so. The true church will actually arise during this time period, but much of the church will fall away. The scripture even says in the last day, there'll be many who fall away. Those are the ones who are lukewarm, who don't really know him. If your heart is for him, you have no place else to go but to him. Do you realize that if your heart is truly for him, no matter what happens around you, the only place you can go is to him. You can't find solace or happiness or joy anywhere except for in him. So how does the Jezebel spirit work in the church? Well, first, when the church allows people with influence, wealth, or charisma to have power and control rather than the Holy Spirit. And you can find abundant examples of this all over the church where people who have who have control in that church who have influence in that church not because they are guided by the holy spirit and and humble before god and walking with him but because of characteristics that are mostly of the flesh This is what I was alluding to earlier about the example I know of of a pastor who was a godly pastor, spirit-filled pastor, who was deeply undermined in that church because of exactly what is stated there. A person who had wealth and influence who was backbiting and preventing that pastor from truly doing the work of the Lord. And then the Jezebel spirit seeks to squelch true worship of God by intimidation in favor of religion. Many of us have come from backgrounds where we felt inhibited in worship. We lacked the freedom to worship because of this sense of a religious intimidation. In fact, I think it's so strong in our region that most of us don't realize how much we have been in bondage to it. I was talking to my wife about it, how we had seen it in situations over our life of different types. I come from a Protestant background. She comes from a Catholic background. But we both had seen this type of intimidation of religion to squelch true worship of God. See, that's the Jezebel spirit. Remember, because what was she doing? She was murdering the true prophets of God, had false prophets, raising up worship of Baal. She always wanted to squelch worship of the one true God. The Jezebel spirit will do anything it can to get a church to engage in any form of idolatry of things or people. 
which is essentially demonic worship. We have a lot of worship of people in modern churches. Probably because of media and and the things that we can do in that regard today, it's worse than it's ever been, although it's been in history as well, where we've worshipped people rather than worshipping God. The Jezebel spirit certainly wants to deny the truth, and in the culture in which we live, what it does is espouse falsehood in the form of human philosophy and human ideas rather than God's truth. There are lots and lots of places where you can go and listen to teaching that is supposedly coming from the church that is false teaching. That is nothing more than human ideas that are contradictory to the reality of who Christ really is. And then lastly, the Jezebel spirit infiltrates a church by sexual immorality, especially when the church tolerates it in leadership. You find a place where a church tolerates sexual immorality in any portion of leadership, then a Jezebel spirit has control there. Now remember, for this spirit to have authority in a church, it starts with having authority in a person. Everything we've been talking about with regard to the true church starts with you and I being true disciples of Christ, being repentant in our own hearts, being people who really seek him, who do away with the idols of this world, who, who really want to be his soldiers in the battle, standing against the darkness. That we don't allow this type of thing to infiltrate our lives so that it can't infiltrate our church or the church body in terms of how we go and work in the world. See, it's, it's time for the church to stand Interestingly enough, Jezebel had her demise. God said enough. And he raised up an interesting character. His name was Jehu. He eventually becomes king of Israel, that he is anointed by the servant of Elisha to be the king. But he's sort of a wild buck. And he at one time had been a commander in the army of Ahab. But God had appointed him to be the the king of Israel after Ahab. And so eventually what he does is after receiving this this mission from God to go and destroy the house of Ahab, that was his duty, that there were three appointed, the king of Judah, uh, in this case Elisha also, and Jehu, the king of Israel, that the three of them were appointed to squelch everything that had come from the house of Ahab, the worship that was brought along by Jezebel. And so he literally killed the descendant of Ahab and took him from being the king. And then he came after Jezebel. And he met her in Jezreel. And it's important that he met her there because Jezreel was the place where Naboth had the vineyard. It was the place where she had had him murdered in order to take his property. And that's where Jehu met her. And see, he said to the eunuchs who were her servants, he said, who among you is with me? And they were the ones who recognized who Jehu was and what his mission was. And they were the ones who threw Jezebel down to the street. The scripture records that her blood was spattered there. And then Jehu said that this was the prophecy that came from Elisha, 
that this is the word of the Lord that he spoke through his servant Elisha that on the plot of ground that the Jezreel dogs would devour Jezebel's flesh, it was the ground that she had taken from Naboth by murdering him. That eventually God said enough. And I believe it's possible, I don't know this for certain, but I believe it is possible right now that God is calling the church to arise essentially to stand against the Jezebel spirit, to stop allowing it to manipulate and control within the church, to vanquish it just as Jehu did in the Old Testament days. To be a real church. To stop playing games. If ever there was such a time, such a call, such an importance, such an urgent need for the church to arise, it is right now. It starts with us individually. Louis is going to come back. And I would ask that you would start by purifying your heart. Anything that you would have allowed in, that you would repent. That you would stand in prayer against the spirits of darkness that have authority in this church or in any church. That we would stand in prayer against a Jezebel spirit. That we would not walk in pride or rebellion or or idolatry. That you would stand in prayer against the spirits of darkness that have authority over this nation. We won't defeat the spirits of darkness through human means. They are defeated through the power of prayer by the Spirit of God working in His people. It is the call upon the church. For those listening and watching online, if if you're at a place where you know that you've invited something into your heart that is not of God, fall on your knees and repent. And ask God to do a fresh work among us in his church for his glory. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. 